And we pray that you would take the Word of God and make application to our lives by the power that you have, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, last week, there was an Ethiopian Airlines that left Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, to fly to Milan, Italy. 200 people on board. Uh, halfway into the flight, the pilot had to go to the restroom, and so he turned controls over to the co-pilot. While he was in the restroom, the co-pilot locked the door and diverted the airplane. And the people in first class knew something was amiss when the pilot started beating on the door, screaming, let me in, uh, which would be very disconcerting if I were flying. But he, he diverted the plane to Geneva, Switzerland, where he was going to ask for asylum. The interesting thing is that as the plane descended into Geneva, it was escorted on one side by an Italian fighter plane and on the other in a, a French fighter jet and landed. And the article said this, the Swiss were not there because the Swiss Air Force only operates during, lunch, during the business hours. <laughs> really? So it's got to be during business hours. So that, that's, that's a true story. Um, by the way, it says he probably won't get political asylum. <laughs> now, when I read that, I thought about this series I'm going into about spiritual warfare and Ephesians 6 and how oftentimes we operate, I operate as if spiritual warfare happens during these hours or this day, and I don't realize that it is an ever-present reality. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, and in that book, he makes, the, the start of the quote is in the sermon outline. He says, this is in the preface of this book, he says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which one can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Then I thought, this is the key sentence. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. And let me explain that. What Lewis is saying is that in this whole area of understanding evil forces and of living in a fallen world, that if the devil can get us to disbelieve in him, to say reality is only what I can see or what I can touch, to forget that there is an invisible world around us. To forget that the Apostle Paul says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. To just forget that, he wins. Conversely, if we become what Lewis calls magicians, and we see a demon behind every bush, and we become what, what's, what we call dualistic, so there's a good force and a bad force, and they're in struggle, and no one knows who's going to win. You rob the cross of its glory. You rob Christ of his authority. And he says, in both instances, the devil wins. I think he's right. So we need to be keenly aware of what is happening around us, biblically speaking. This little diagram has helped me. That, that we battle the world, the evil world, the evil fallen world, elements of evil around us. We battle the flesh, which refers to the part of my life that still deals with indwelling sin. I'm never done with sin as a Christ follower. I'm never done with sin. 
An old confession of faith says there is an irreconcilable war going on in the hearts of all of God's people. And we deal with the devil. So when I am tempted, browbeat, I don't know where the world ends and the flesh kicks in or where the flesh ends and the devil kicks in. It's all combined. But we're at warfare. And we, we deal with these issues. Um, so, 1 John says, book in the New Testament says, don't love the world or the things in this evil world system. For the things in the world, such as the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but it is of this evil system. And then he closes this little epistle in chapter 5, verses 18 and following, by talking about knowledge and understanding. Knowledge and understanding. Listen to verse 18. 1 John 5. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who is born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. You're protected. This verse says that if you're truly a child of God, You do not continue to sin and sin and sin and sin with no repentance, no remorse, no regret. A sign of our regeneration or salvation is a tender heart. And and as you walk through life, you're protected by the living God. We know this. And see the word know. Verse 19, we know that we are from God and the whole world, the evil parts of this world, lies in the power of the evil one. So we know this. Next, next verse. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true and his Son, Jesus Christ. So no, no, no understanding. We've been given understanding. We know these truths. We know strong biblical doctrinal truths. And so I I go to Ephesians 6, which will be our focal passage. And Ephesians 6, verse 10 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Now, a lot of people, they just jump and say, Yes, how are you strong in the Lord? Well, you put on the full armor of God. That's part of it. But I want to argue very strongly. I want to plead with you that that the first step here is to realize our position, our standing in Christ. You need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. You need to remember, rehearse, and rejoice Regarding your position in Christ, the first step in spiritual warfare is to understand our high, our high calling and who we are in Christ. And we, as we understand that, then we put on the armor. But we must understand who we are in Christ. That's the first point. You've got to get that. Ephesians 3, verse 16, Paul is praying for the church, and this is what he says. He says, my prayer is that that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. He says, you know, I, I pray 
that you'll continually be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in your inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It says, my prayer is that you'll continually be strengthened with his power, continually, continually, continually understand who you are in Christ. Understand that there's, there, there's clarity there and there are clear chains of, of understanding and, and fellowship there. Strengthened with power. You step back and say, I, I can't pull this off unless I'm living under the authority and the empowerment of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. And, and then you step back and you say, well, what about this power? Chapter 1. Again, he's prayer for the church. And this is what he says. Verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? He says, I want you to know that. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And I just, I just read that and I go, wow. Wow. So the power he's praying for, for the church, the power we pray for each other, that is our right in our union with Christ, is, is like the power that raised Jesus from the dead. You get that. I step back and I go, wow. So, so as a child of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I have the same type of power that worked in God Almighty when he was raised from the dead. So I, I, just, I just look at this and I say, therefore, for me to say, yes, I'm a child of God, but I cannot conquer substance abuse is an affront to God. To say, yes, I'm a child of God, but I cannot control my temper is an affront to God. Yes, I'm a child of God, but I, I just, I can't control my critical spirit or my lust is an affront to God. Jesus didn't come to earth, live a perfect life, die on the cross for our sin, raise victorious over life, death, pour the Holy Spirit on the church, give us the scripture so that we could not be people who enjoyed the power and the authority that is ours in Christ. And, and so I, I just say, church, we must constantly realize, remember, and rehearse who we are in Christ. That's the first point. That's the first point. That's, that's, that's the starting point every day. God, strengthen me with power through your spirit in my inner man so that I may walk before you as a child of God. So I'm going to give you three principles. Then we're going to look at an application. Principle number one. The scripture says here, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the cosmic powers, spiritual forces in the heavenly realm. We wrestle. We fight. It is enduring. It is ongoing. It is unrelenting. We are in a struggle. I was going to show you some places I've been where I, I felt really palpable presence of evil. Let me give you a couple places. This is an artist rendition. I think it's, well, it's a picture, but it's very clean, cleaned up. This is a, the, the temple of Kali in Calcutta, India. Uh, this is the god, goddess they worship at that temple. She's standing on her consort's chest. Shiva, dead people, skulls, uh, goddess of destruction. 
And it, you go in there, and, and the darkness is almost suffocating. There's continuous animal sacrifice, so there's blood in a certain part of the temple where they killed goats in the morning, and, and there is an infestation of flies. It's hot in Calcutta. There are people sitting around all over the temple who are in some type of drug-induced stupor. There are Hindu holy men walking around doing incantations, and you walk in, they try to put a red dot in your forehead, and I've been there twice. I know I don't to show that you're considering Hinduism or want to be part of Hinduism. The, 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 the atmosphere is absolutely oppressive. And you say, man, this is, there's evil here. There's evil here. Another place I went in 1978, I'd been in Singapore two years, and I'd been reading Russian literature, and I thought, coming back, I'm just going to go to, to, to Moscow. This is 11 years before the wall came down, before Perestroika and Glasnost and Gorbachev. And so I spent about four days in Moscow. And... Uh, I went to Red Square, and you, you don't see it here, but to your right is Lenin's tomb, and there was a huge line, at least a two-hour wait to walk by the corpse of a henchman, Lenin. And the whole atmosphere, I walked around the city, and the only people that were laughing were children. It was just oppressive. We need to pray for the Ukraine folks. Bad, it's real bad. So another place I went a few years ago, I spoke at a missionary conference at a Baptist retreat center in southern Thailand. Thailand's a beautiful country. Warm people, 69 million people. The gospel has made minimal inroads compared to Korea or parts of the Philippines. But, but, but a, a large percentage of their GDP, and there's arguments about how much is is part of the sex industry. There's perversion of every known variety in places like Padio or Bangkok or Patong Beach and Phuket. It, it is, they openly solicit, they go after you, they, uh, we're talking about pedophilia, we're talking about everything. And this particular place is called the Walking Street in Padia. And when I was there, one of the missionaries said, I want you to walk with me down the Walking Street because your heart needs to be broken over people who do not know Jesus. And it breaks your heart. The, the, the crass carnality. It's, there's nothing. It's just crass. It's horrible. And you felt evil. You just you could almost touch it. Let me show you some other places where there is spiritual warfare and there's evil. Maybe not to this extent, but these places. You see, my, if we think spiritual warfare is in Padia, Thailand, or spiritual warfare is the Kali Temple in India, it's over there and it's not here. Satan wins. Spiritual warfare is here. It's here. It's in your home. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and the cosmic forces, against spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places. And I, I, I've got to remind it's not out there only. It is here. See, as a young Christian, I came to God saved me when I was 19. And I remember this, I remember I'd just be sitting there doing, maybe even reading the Bible, or, and all of a sudden, a carnal thought would hit me. I was a young man. It just hit me. It still hits me. 
Boom. Where does that come from? And here was my response. My response was, God, am I really a child of yours? I mean, if I was really a believer, would I have that thought? And I would kind of crumble. And now, now that I'm older, and I still deal with those issues, we're all the flesh and the devil, I realize now that the way I respond when those thoughts hit, those inclinations hit, those temptations come, I just start praising the Lord. I, I, I'll sing. I'll, for example, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. See, I'm, I'm saying that because the devil doesn't mind bad music. Okay? But he hates good theology. I'll start quoting scripture. I'll say, you know, yeah, I had that thought, but blessed be the Lord. He's my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul for his name's sake. God is my refuge and my strength, my very present help in trouble. Now, you're going to have those thoughts. Now, is it, is it the worldly system? Sometimes it is. Is it the devil? Absolutely. Sometimes it is. Is it your indwelling sin? Sometimes. Well, I don't know where it begins and where it is, but it's there. You fight it. Now, let me just take a side road here and say this. I hate pornography. I despise it. I look at young men today and I grieve for them. I'm going, Man. I hate pornography because it objectifies women who are somebody's daughter, sister. I hate it. I hate, I hate it because it keeps men from tenderly loving women they should be tenderly loving. I hate it because it causes us men to walk under a cloud of guilt, accusation, and you just browbeat yourself to death. I just despise it. Therefore, listen, here's my plug. Every man if you, should have covenant eyes on his, on his internet. It's a readout that goes to another brother that shows you if you visited any objectionable sites and it's good for your soul. Now that I said that, women, if you're sitting with your husband next August, September, when football season gloriously comes back, we're in this death march after March Madness from really April the 4th till August. You're going, oh, man. You're sitting there, and the camera goes to an NFL cheerleader, and it shows her, and it's in Miami. You know, I just love the games in New England where it's just too cold to wear anything but overalls. And it shows her in Miami, and your husband is smiling. Do not think you're married to a pervert. You're married to a man. You're married to a man. And, and that's just the way we're wired. So understand that. If you have a teenage boy and you don't have something like covenant eyes, shame on you. Just shame on you. It's nine bucks a month. So I, I say that. So, so we understand that. But let me say this. I wish there was an app called gossipingtongues.org they would print out a readout every week to a brother in the Lord or about ungodly conversations, vindictive statements, or, or things that I say that destroy people. 
See, that's, that's, that's our respectable sin. You know, we just browbeat people over A, B, and C, but we wink at D, E, and F, and D, E, and F destroy. Listen, I was reading 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 1, Paul's writing his last letter, and he's speaking to this young preacher, and he's saying, Timothy, go strong, and he says in chapter 4, he, he says, Timothy, I, 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 I solemnly charge you solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is, who is to judge the living and the dead and, and, and by his appearance and by his kingdom you preach the word in season and out of season reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and careful instruction for a time is coming when they won't listen to you but they'll accumulate teachers to tell them what they want to hear so you preach the word while you can brother and he starts off by saying, I solemnly charge you. That's strong. The same word is used in chapter 2. In chapter 2, I solemnly charge, he talks about, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended of David according to my gospel. Remember Jesus. Remember the power of who Jesus is. And then he says this in verse 14. Remind them of these things, the life of Christ, and solemnly charge them before God not to wrangle about words or quarrel about words which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Same concept. I solemnly charge you, preach the word. I solemnly charge you, don't quarrel about words. Don't get involved in esoteric theological nothingness. Oh man, the same thing. That, that, that wrangling about words, quarreling about words, being, being, being non-Christ-centered destroys. Gossipingtongue.org. I need it. So the second point is this. There is a coming day of evil. Some of you are in it now. You're in a bad place. I met with a dear brother yesterday from out of the state who's in a bad place. Just hurting. But the Bible says in verse 13 of chapter 6, it says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. What Paul is saying here is there are days and epochs and periods where temptation just hits you in the face. Is your heart stored up with the good things of God? Are you prayerful? Are you alert? Are you ready? I always think of Luke 4, where Christ is tempted by the devil, and he rebuffs him by quoting Scripture. And it says in verse 13 that the devil left him for a more opportune time. Hmm. Opportune time. See, the, the devil, the evil forces will hit you the blind side when you're least expecting it. And, and so an opportune time. You may be in the midst of a tough time. A tough time. You run to the Lord. Someone has wisely said in this fallen world you're either entering into a conflict, in a conflict, or going out of a conflict. That's life. So I say, Lord, let there be a clear provision in my heart so that I can withstand in the evil day. 
Number three, we will leave a legacy. I see in chapter 6, this is in chapter 6, verse 19, just general principles. Paul says, and after you, it's just, it's just pray for me that, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He says, pray for me. Pray, pray that I would fulfill my calling as as, as a preacher of the gospel. He says in 2 Timothy, I'm called to be a, a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. He said, that's my calling. Pray that my legacy will be strong and firm. And then in 2 Timothy, he, he says, he says uh, chapter 4, verse 5, he says, as for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Says Timothy, your ministry is this. Fulfill it. Fulfill your calling. Fulfill your calling as, as, as a man of God, as a woman of God in this sphere of influence. And this is Paul's passion. That's why I can say in just the next breath, as he's dying, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. You know, you're gonna leave a legacy. You will leave a legacy. In Acts 20, Paul's talking to a group of Ephesian elders, and he says, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race the Lord Jesus has given to me of testifying to the gospel of grace. I want to finish strong. So I look at spiritual warfare, and I look at these issues, and I say, I will leave a legacy. And listen, the starting point is to remember, rehearse, and rejoice in our calling in Christ. It's to always look to him. And his empowering presence. Let me just show you. Paul's writing this book of Ephesians to the church at Ephesus. And in chapter 1, he just lays out some glorious truth for the church to be glad in. Let me just kind of just mention these things. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And you, you just stop and you say, Lord, I, I thank you that, the, that you have blessed your people, and I'm one of your people, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I just thank you that because of my union with Christ, not because of how I feel primarily, not because of my inner disposition primarily, but because I am united with the glorious one who's called Jesus, I've received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place as well. Point two, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. God, I thank you. This is a great mystery to me, God. I thank you that in the happy land of the Trinity, before time began, you set your affection upon me to be holy and blameless before you. But it was in Christ. It was in him. Point number three. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. I thank you, Lord. Thank you. That, that you have, in love, predestined to adopt me as a son or a daughter. 
That's why theologians time after time say that adoption is the apex of God's love in our salvation. When I was a first-year seminary student in Texas, I was having a bad year for a number of reasons. Just a difficult time. I was cutting grass and scraping sidewalks and poor and didn't, you know, first-year seminary student felt like I was a nobody and... Uh, but anyway, we were in chapel one day, and we sang a hymn. And it's a hymn that many of you know that I've sung a thousand times since then. And I just ended up singing that hymn all year long to cheer myself up. It's called Victory in Jesus. You know? The chorus goes, um, Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I've just stopped and said, you know, God, I thank you that you, you sought me. When I was dead, Ephesians 2, in my transgressions and my sins, you made me alive in Jesus. You're a seeking God. Thank you for being the hound of heaven. He sought me and bought me. He loved me ere I knew him. Lord, you loved me before I even knew to say your name. You loved me. Therefore, all my love is due him. So I look at this. There are concepts here I don't understand. Predestination. Chosen before the foundation of the earth. I mean, it's clouded in mystery, but it's given as a point of praise for his people. And he goes on, he says this, verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our transgressions, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all in, wisdom and insight. And I said, I have redemption in Christ. I've been purchased by Christ. Next he says, Verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Thank you, Lord, that you, you desire to, to bring my home, my relationships under the glorious, sovereign kingship of Jesus. And I want that. I thank you for that. And he says this. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And I just say, that, 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 Lord, thank you that I have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. People say, you know, can, can, a, can a Christian lose his salvation. My answer, someone who's truly a child of God can never be cast out because he's been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You can't break a seal. You can't destroy a seal from the king of the universe. Sealed by the Holy Spirit, which is a guarantee of our inheritance. It is a first down payment of something that is glorious. So I just step back and I say, God, the, the, the first step in fighting the wiles of the devil is to continually remember, rejoice, and rehearse who I am in Christ. That's it. Be strong in the Lord, church, and in the strength of his might. Get up in the morning and say, God, I am yours. 
I belong to you. In love, you have brought me in and you've adopted me as your child. God, before the foundation of the earth, you loved me as your own in Christ. Thank you. I want to live there. I want to flee to that every day. Let's pray. Lord, as your people, those of us who know you, we, we come to you now and we say, God, make us strong in the strength that's in Jesus Christ. Right? I, I pray you to forgive us for so often looking to our emotions or looking to our performance, and that, those are important things. Primarily, I pray we'd primarily always look to the glory of the triune God and the wonder of the cross. I thank you that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I thank you that in Christ you chose your people before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before you. I thank you that in love you predestined us in Christ to be adopted as your sons and daughters. I thank you that in Christ, there is redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of all of our sins according to the riches of your grace. I thank you that in Christ, you desire to bring every particle of our lives under the glorious, liberating kingship of Jesus. And I thank you that in Christ, we have received we have received the, the, the promised Holy Spirit as the seal of our redemption, the guarantee of what's to come. God, it's astounding. I pray we would live there. We rejoice in that. I pray for people who are here who are just in difficult places that you would break through as they look to Christ. I pray you show us, Lord, the, the, the absolute importance of understanding that spiritual warfare is not happening only in Kali's Temple in Calcutta, only on Red Square, only on a walking street of perversity in Padia, Thailand, but it's happening right here. And I pray we'd be very aware that the devil desires for us to be unaware of that. So we stand in the strength of Christ. We glory in you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you.